Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to City on a Hill. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is just good to be with you this morning. I'm thankful uh, to be with you, and a special welcome to any of our uh, visitors or anyone who hasn't been with, with us before, or if you're just here and kind of checking this out and you're just like, man, I don't know about this. We are glad you are here. So if you'd like to uh, turn your Bible to James chapter 3, verse, starting in verse 13, um, we're going to finish up the chapter this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one uh, underneath the seat in front of you. You're welcome to grab that. And if you don't own a Bible at all, you're welcome to take that home. We want everyone to be able to have a copy of God's Word with them. This morning's message is entitled, Recognizing Wisdom. And I feel like this is something that we could all use a little bit of help with, right? If I asked you to recall the last time that you made a decision, which at the time seemed to be wise, and then uh, later in retrospect turned out to be, well, not so much, you probably wouldn't have to think back very far. I know I didn't as I was just thinking about it this morning. Uh, but I have an example uh, of this in the form of a picture, theoretically, if it comes up. Presto. There it is. Okay. <laughs> so it's a traffic sign on the side of the road. And you probably can't see it, but it says, follow traffic rules. Someone is waiting at home for you, which is a nice sentiment, right? Be careful. It's dangerous on the road. But probably many of you and probably many drivers on the road couldn't read all of those little words. Probably all they see is a sign that says, follow someone home. <laughs> That's kind of a silly example, right? It's not a big deal. But it is something that appeared to be wise and turned out not to be. But we could look at things from our world or our culture or the stakes, the impact for better or for worse, is much greater. One example that came to mind for me would be the so-called self-esteem movement, which really was popular, was going, especially in the 1980s and 1990s. One of the, the most famous kind of books that came out at this time, there was many of them, was called The Lovables in the Kingdom of Self-Esteem, that was published in 1991. To summarize that movement, it basically said that improving self-esteem could, and here I'm going to quote an article summarizing it, quote, unlock the gates to more happiness, better performance, and every kind of success imaginable. This was both a personal argument and a political one. The movement argued that increasing people's self-esteem could reduce crime, teen pregnancy, and a host of other social ills, even pollution. Now, it certainly seems like wisdom, right? And it's because there is some truth to it, right? If, if I spend all my time thinking about myself and telling myself about horrible I am at everything, that's going to affect me, right? That's going to affect my desires. That's going to affect my thoughts. That's going to affect my actions. But in the last 20 years or so, Opinions on this idea of this movement would gradually shift from this is wisdom, this is the stuff we should all be doing this to uh, less 
and less favorable. Of course, overall, you have to understand that in a complex idea like this, you're sure to find all sorts of differing opinions. To summarize, I'll quote another article of how kind of opinion has shifted. Although nobody would deny that building self-esteem is important, this popular movement seriously misunderstood the concept, used the wrong techniques to build genuine self-esteem, and left a legacy of damage that continues to this day. In other words, here's an example of something that was first lauded as wisdom and then, in retrospect, turned out not to be, and where the consequences were uh, much more than a sign maybe not being as effective as we had hoped. Another example, Dr. Jean Twenge, a psychologist at the University of San Diego. Right, this is California. California is where the self-esteem movement began. She found that millennials, who were the ones primarily raised in this trend, do indeed think more highly of themselves. So in that sense, it worked. But in, in her surveys and different things like that, they also scored higher than other, other generations in negative traits like narcissism. And <laughs> so if you're ever thinking, like, why is Jeff so narcissistic? Now you know. But so she would go on to write a book about how millennials are more miserable than previous generations, less happy, attributing at least part of this to the self-esteem movement, which was kind of big while they were being raised. Now, um, whatever your thoughts are on the movement and your personal feelings about that, that's fine. My point this morning wasn't even to share my own thoughts or, or to really dog on the self-esteem movement or anything like that, but to really give an example of here's something that looked like wisdom that now some people are saying isn't with real high stakes in our society, in our culture, in our families. And my purpose in this is twofold. One, it's to remind us of why being able to discern true wisdom is so important. These high stakes. Sometimes it's as simple as that traffic sign. Sometimes being able to carefully figure out what is wisdom could be the difference between a lot of wasted effort, um, maybe a, a worse mental health, maybe even unintentionally fostering a bad character in ourselves or our children like narcissism. And ultimately, most importantly, this false wisdom leads us away from God. It leads us away from growing in wisdom. It leads us away from growing to be more like Christ and pleasing God. And second, because we are called as believers to wisely consider as we uh, hear of new ideas, and there always will be new ideas, we're called to stack it up against Scripture, this truth that God has given us, and to ask the question, does this line up with the truth that's found in this book? Would God agree with what is being said here? That's why we're talking about it this morning. That's why James was writing about it almost 2,000 years ago and why it's included in our Bible, because it's important to be able to discern true wisdom. So there's, I think, three lessons we're going to talk about this morning from our passage. So first, we'll talk about discerning true wisdom. Second, 
How do we obtain true wisdom? And third, what are the blessings of true wisdom? So let's go before God now in prayer and just ask him for his help this morning. Father, thank you for Redemption Church, for Pastor Blake and their core team, and just their heart to plant another gospel-preaching church in Monroe. And I pray that you would use them mightily to reach their community for the gospel. I pray that you would be with them this morning during their service. I pray that they would bear fruit and it would be impactful in their community. Pray now for us as we come to your word that you would open our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as we study, that as your word is proclaimed to our hearts, that we would hear with joy and we would rejoice in what you have to say to us today. And we ask all these things in the name of your Son. Amen. So again, we're starting in James chapter 3. Uh, verse 3, and we'll actually read the whole passage to start, and then we'll kind of give each point as we come. So again, starting in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace." So certainly the main kind of point, thrust of the passage is our main point this morning, the one we're going to spend the most time on, is discerning true wisdom. How do I uh, tell between this false wisdom and this true wisdom? So I want to start by defining wisdom. Now I would guess, uh, just by the nature of the word wisdom, if you asked seven different people to define wisdom, you would get seven different answers. So here's my crack at my answer. It's uh, a lightly modified version of Dr. Douglas Moo's definition. So besides having a great last name, which I absolutely love, he was a New Testament professor at Trinity and now at um, Wheaton College, and he's one of my favorite Bible scholars of, that I enjoy reading. So if you want um, something like pastors kind of universally geek out about, it's like Bible scholar sort of thing. So there you go. He'd make my list. But here it is. Wisdom is what enables us to discern what is right and just and leads us to walk in the ways of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. Wisdom is what enables us to discern what is right and just and leads us to walk in the ways of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. Now, you might be tempted to think when James says wisdom in this passage, he's just talking about wisdom like that, but he's actually making a distinction between two types of wisdom. And the distinction is important because if you look at verse 15, he goes so far as to say, this wisdom isn't just kind of like bad or unhelpful. This wisdom is demonic. And that sounds pretty strong. And even when I was studying it this week, I was like, whoa, 
demonic, like James, chill. But thinking back to our example of kind of the stakes that can come from being deceived in this way, right? If it leads you to a worse mental health, if it leads you to robbing you of joy, if it leads you to narcissism, if it leads you to ultimately displeasing God in your desires, thoughts, and actions, that is what Satan wants, right? He wants to do anything he could possibly could to get you away from thinking, doing, desiring the things that God desires, the things that God wants. So how do we tell the difference? Well, James gives us some clues in this passage, but it's not an entirely new idea. It's something we've kind of been talking about throughout our James series. Look back at verse 13. It's talking about by his good conduct in the meekness of wisdom. And that, that word meekness, it's, it's a great translation. We just don't use the word meekness very often. So I would think of it uh, like quiet and gentle and an eagerness to serve others sort of, sort of meekness, um, not um, someone that gets walked all over or something like that, which may come to mind for some people when we think of, of meekness. But we've seen this idea of being able to tell what's going on inside of someone, being able to tell the quality of something by, by what we can see, by their outside actions, by the fruit that it produces, right? So I'm going to ask you to do something difficult to remember all the way back to last week. Dave was preaching on the first kind of half of this chapter, and um, he was talking about the tongue and, and saying the things we say come out of what's inside of us. It comes out of our heart. Now, James, which remember for James, it wasn't a week since, since those last verses. Like, James is just writing one letter. Now, James is kind of taking this principle and applying it to wisdom. True wisdom leads to Christ-likeness. True wisdom produces this sort of character, this sort of fruit. We also see this in verse 17, if you want to look there. It has this whole list of qualities. This wisdom of God produces peace, gentleness, mercy, etc. And again, in general, it's producing these good fruits. In that same principle, though, the opposite is true. So if, if true wisdom produces good fruit, this righteousness, then false wisdom will produce bad fruit. Look at verse 6. 16, it's talking about this uh, jealousy and selfish ambition. But it's not just jealousy and selfish ambition. We also see that in verse 14. But we see that it's producing disorder in the church community and vile practices. So apparently there were some people in the church, and we don't have a lot of details about what exactly was happening in the church at this time, but there were people in this church who it seemed like we're having some sort of kind of wisdom competition. Not a formal competition, but, but just uh, trying to prove that they are wiser than others, kind of trying to gain respect from others and following from others by their wisdom. And that led to this kind of competition and this disorder and these vile practices. And it seems like that's what was motivating James to write this section. He's writing to the church and saying, hey guys, you're, you're following these people, you respect them, you think they're wise, but if you look at their character, 
and you took a careful look at these people, are they really? Like, if you looked at the fruit of their lives, are they really wise? Is this really what we're after? Is this really what we're trying to emulate? And that's the first way we can kind of tell genuine wisdom or tell if someone is wise is what character does it produce or what fruit does it produce in someone who takes these things to heart? What's the fruit of that wisdom? Another element we can look at and we can evaluate is what's the source? So if you want to look back at verse 15, James describes this other wisdom as, like we talked about before, earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Now, whenever we see a list like this in the New Testament, you should always be thinking, is this a list of synonyms that he's, he's kind of lumped together for uh, emphasis or for effect, or are these three different things? Are we talking about three different kinds of like bad wisdom, or is this one type of bad wisdom? And I would say it's one type, and James here is intentionally kind of uh, elevating it to the next level with each sort of synonym here. So it's not just uh, earthly wisdom, it's unspiritual wisdom. And it's not just unspiritual wisdom, it's demonic wisdom, where now we're kind of like, whoa, okay. <clears throat> so while being helpful for emphasis, it also helps us distinguish between the two types of wisdom. We have right, the earthly wisdom and the wisdom that comes from above. So, did this wisdom come from man, or did it come from God? Now, caveat to this, that doesn't mean that, that every idea people have ever had is, is bad and, and not wise and different things like that. God has given us natural revelation, and we are able to discover truth and different things like that. So, um, we don't want to take that too far, but we should be especially careful to evaluate the source. And if it is earthly wisdom, or if it is from an earthly source or from a person, uh, evaluating the other things we all were taught to evaluate, like what is the evidence, and da 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 da, da is this really true? And especially comparing that to the truth of God's scriptures. If it's, a, if it's an idea for man and I can see how it contradicts, well, then it's easy to know that that isn't true wisdom. But we're also called to evaluate everything against God's word, even if someone claims to be teaching God's word. So right now in this moment, I am uh, claiming to be preaching God's word because we don't want to hear from like, oh, Jeff seems like pretty smart. He did pretty well in school. Let, let me like get his thoughts on wisdom. No, we want God's truth on wisdom, right? And so we are called, whether it's me or Dave or some uh, famous preacher you're listening to on a podcast or online or something like that, we are called to evaluate the truth of what they're saying to God's word too. And we got an example of this in our Acts study if you remember in Acts 17, verse 11, it's the Bereans were praised for this. I'll, I'll go ahead and read that passage now. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They were comparing against what they were hearing against God's word. And remember, they were being taught, they were hearing from the Apostle Paul, and still they were praised for evaluating it 
against scripture and seeing if it was so. I think now is a good time to stop and kind of consider for ourselves, are you being an active listener in the sense of in all this different information we take in in our day-to-day lives from all these different sources, are we carefully considering whether this is true, whether this is true wisdom, whether it's helpful, or are we just sort of taking it in? And for a lot of us, this probably isn't a new idea. Like probably all of us know uh, and have been burned by, by you know, wisdom from another source at some point and know to be careful. And maybe for a lot of us, it's we need to be encouraged to continue doing that, to continue being diligent and not to get lazy in how we are thinking and processing through information, which we're so bombarded with as it comes in. Are there places in your own life where this earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom has kind of crept in and subtly influences your thinking or your actions or your desires where you need to kind of uh, do the hard work of figuring out where that is? Do you know God's word well enough to actually compare things against it. And the thought that came to mind while I was working on this was, if you haven't read the whole Bible before, or haven't been taught from the whole Bible before, it would be really hard for you to know whether something is or is not biblical. It'd be really hard for you to know if you literally haven't read this before. And so my encouragement for you would be, Wherever you're at, take that next step in your kind of knowledge of the word. So maybe that is you. You're like, I I haven't read the Bible before. I've always intended to. I want to, blah, blah, blah. Make a plan to read the whole Bible and actually do it. Maybe you are reading your Bible regularly. Maybe it's spotty and needs to be more regular. Maybe it needs to move from maybe two days a week to five days a week. Maybe you've faithfully been reading your Bible every day for a while and you can grow in Bible memorization. Or maybe um, you really want to go deeper in your theology or how it applies to your life, and you just need a big, big honking like systematic theology book or Christian ethics book. And if that's you, hit me up, because besides Bible scholars, big honking books is the other thing we all pastors geek out about. But the point is, right, wherever you're at in that place, take that next step of growing in your knowledge of the word. That's the first point, to to be able to discern between earthly and that godly wisdom that comes from above. And the two ways we kind of discussed was, are we evaluating the fruit and the source? Where does it come from? And that ability to figure that out, to discern which kind of wisdom it is, is part of wisdom in of itself. So, Okay, we know how to discern between the wisdom. So how do we get more of that good wisdom? How do we obtain or obtaining true wisdom? How do we obtain wisdom? And you might say, well, Jeff, if you would look at verse 15, you would see that uh, that heavenly wisdom comes from above, and so we, we get it from them. Okay, okay. Um, this is probably all of us in this room, right? I'm, I'm being, being good. I'm listening to Pastor Jeff's sermon, and 
And I'm convicted that I am not perfectly wise yet, not, not perfectly like Jesus. I could use some more wisdom. So I could use some help with the intermediate steps. So I know it's like up here, but how do I get it to kind of land right here on me? Because I could certainly use some more. And I think Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 gives us a start. And this is a pretty, pretty famous verse. It says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Now, we've talked about the fear of the Lord several times on Sunday morning, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it. It's not fear, like fear of a scary movie or Halloween or things like that. And there are many aspects to the fear of the Lord. People have written whole books on it. But I'll just say, I think especially here is he's emphasizing fear of or how awful it is to stop trusting and depending on God to meet our needs. Or in other words, the fear of navigating life without God, without his presence, without his help, and what that would be like. But the point being, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom in the sense that all the later characteristics of wisdom flow from fear of the Lord, like uh, water flows from a spring. Because without that fear and without seeking wisdom from above, inevitably we seek wisdom from other sources, from worldly sources, from ourselves. The beginning of growing in wisdom and continuing to grow in wisdom is the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God and continuing to grow in our, our knowledge of God's character and how that impacts our lives. And we, you know, sitting in retrospect, 2000, almost 2,000 years after, have the benefit of the New Testament. And, and God has revealed to us wisdom when he came and lived on the earth in the form of Jesus. I'm going to read a couple more uh, scriptures that aren't on the slides, so you'll either have to uh, turn there or bear with me. The first is Colossians chapter 2, verse 3. It says, In Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That was Colossians 2, 3. The next is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. If you want to tap into this wisdom, if you want true wisdom, you have to know Christ. And to truly know Christ requires accepting what he did for you on the cross. When he died for you and took our sins upon himself for our justification, it requires our trust and faith in him. It requires our confessing that his way is the right way and not our own, that he is the Lord of our lives. And in that mindset, in that heart, in that knowing Christ is where true wisdom is found. That's where you can truly know God and know his character as he revealed himself to us. So if that's not you, if you've never made those decisions, if you don't believe that, about Christ, I would invite you to this morning. You can have this wisdom. Most of us have done this already. 
but need to remember and think about and dwell on and meditate on Christ's character and what Christ has done for us. And there too, wisdom is found. That's the first way, this deep knowledge and belief in God's character and what he's done for us. And as we grow in that, we grow in wisdom. The second way we'll discuss is through God's instructions to us. This was true in the Israelites' days. It's true today and uh, always will be. So I want to start in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. This is of the Israelites as they're entering into the promised land. See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. The people will see you, us, as wise because you keep these statutes and rules. Jesus affirms this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and 26. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And it goes on. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. In other words, wisdom is found in following God's word and foolishness in hearing but not obeying. That's the second way we're going to talk about getting wisdom. You uh, get it through God's instructions and obeying God's instructions. The third way we get wisdom is to ask for it. Now, I asked you to do a hard thing to remember back to last week. I'm going to ask you a really hard thing to remember back to the first week of the James series, where we talked about this more at length, is to get wisdom, you ask for it. Um, but by way of a reminder, I'll read James chapter 1, verse 5 real quick. It says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all, without reproach, and it will be given him. Ask for wisdom. Be persistent. We're not going to go there. But if you remember, Jesus taught a parable about the persistent widow. And one of the main points of Jesus teaching that parable was to teach us God wants us to pray to him. God wants us to be persistent in our prayers. Be persistent in your prayer for wisdom. But, I think there's a word of caution in here for us also. We looked at verse 14 and 16 from our passage, so we're back in James 3 now. Um, the whole reason James seems to bring this up is that kind of conflict we're talking about. Of All of a sudden it became a competition of who can appear to be most wise. And if that's your heart, whether it's uh, wanting to appear wise to others or, or wanting to be like the Pharisees in Jesus' time and respected. If your main heart in asking for wisdom is some sort of selfish ambition, that will not lead you to true wisdom. So, how are you doing at seeking wisdom? Is getting wisdom, is being wiser, growing in wisdom, a priority for you?
is, uh, is praying for wisdom, a regular part of your prayers, a regular part of your week, a regular part of your day. And that was the way I was convicted as I was thinking through these questions for myself. When I thought about um, just the percentage of my, my prayers even, or even how often I think to pray for wisdom, I was convicted of my need to do that more often. And let's be real enough with ourselves to admit it's not a time time thing. Like, it's not that we don't have enough time. We could make time. It's that we don't really prioritize them compared to other things. So another way to think of it might be, um, how are you doing at prioritizing growing in wisdom compared to other things? And if you do see these sorts of things in your life, this selfish ambition, this jealousy, these vile practices, like we mentioned before, that means there's some sort of earthly wisdom in there that's leading to this fruit that needs to be uncovered. And, and maybe there's some hard kind of hard work you need to do to figure that out. Maybe you need to invite some others in to help you think through those things. Maybe you need to give others kind of license in your life and say, hey, when, when you see things that, that was just earthly wisdom or that was unwise or that was, that was wrong or that was false or whatever it is, can you just call me out on that and kind of let me know? We have a, a way of blinding ourselves to, to these things where it's always easy to think of ourselves as wise or as something as wise. That's our second point all about getting wisdom. And third, I want to talk about the blessings of true wisdom. That's how James ends this section of Scripture. So that's how we'll end this morning. Look at verse 18, and I'll read it again, because it's been a bit um, since the beginning of the message. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. If they're just talking about, in verse 17, how wisdom is peaceable, verse 18 talks about the effect or the fruit that that will have in the community. In other words, genuine wisdom produces a genuine peace and harmony in the community. And as we put off these kind of negative traits like, like jealousy and selfish ambition that this false wisdom leads to, that too will produce peace and harmony. Now, um, there's some kind of positive things also listed in that verse that we can put on gentleness, openness to reason, sincerity, impartialness. And as I was reading those things, maybe some of you were thinking like, yeah, our, our um, culture is in short supply of those things right now. We could use some more of that. That's a way that we can be a light to the world. That's a way we can be a city on a hill. By showing gentleness, by showing openness to reason and sincerity and impartialness when the world does not. How are you doing at being gentle and sincere and impartial? Would your coworkers describe you that way? Would your family? Maybe it's like some stranger at the grocery store or at a restaurant or something like that. Would they, they describe the way you treated them that way? Would, would God describe that of you when you're all alone and no one else is watching. And you might ask, Jeff, what do you mean? How, what do you mean? What would it look like if you're gentle when you're all alone? 
I'm looking at the time to make sure I, I have time to tell this story. Uh, real quick, uh, when, when Michelle and I first moved into the Madison area, we moved into an apartment, and we were on the first floor. So there was someone living above us. And um, sometimes as we are going to bed, or even in the middle of the night, we'd wake up to uh, this noise from the apartment above us. And it would always start with something like a, or something being dropped, or something being thrown, and then a, a, like a lovely string of explicatives yelled at the top of his lungs, right? Things I won't be recreating here for you at this time. <laughs> but even though he was all alone in his apartment, no one would describe his uh, actions, his character in that moment as gentle and, and very reasonable and sincere and, and different things like that. But the point is, in whatever context it is, whether you're with people you know or don't know or all alone, are you showing this fruit, the fruit of true wisdom? And in general, there is promised blessing to the peacemaker. And Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 is what, what came to me as an encouragement for us in this. This is Jesus' teaching. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We are blessed when, through true wisdom, we become peacemakers. Or in verse 18 says, those who make peace. So not only is it producing this righteous, Christ-like character we're after, but we are blessed. We talk a lot about serving our community here at City on a Hill, and that's good. And I, I pray that we always are talking about that and not just talking about that, but doing that. One of the ways we're doing that is, is what was already mentioned. Zach already mentioned announcements. Trunk or Treat is coming up on a Saturday. So last shameless plug, if you want to make sign up to decorate a car and, slash trunk, now's your chance. Shameless plug over. But we're having Trunk or Treat to serve our community to... Uh, you know, provide a safe place for them to trunk or treat and, and different things like that. Another way we can serve our community or a way we can serve our community in the midst of that is by showing this fruit of gentleness and sincerity and these other things. I would think about it this way. Can you imagine what their experience would be like if the opposite was true of us during our trunk or treat? So they get here ready to trunk or treat and um, these cars are arguing about who gets the best spot, and, and these people over here are arguing about, you know, how should we hand out the candy and how much, and different things like that, and people are arguing over here about which one is the best and things like that. Would that serve them well? Would they feel loved? If you, would you feel loved? Would, would they want to come back? Would you want to come back? Right? If, if that was what characterized our being together, and even our trunk or treat, would that serve them well? Right? Of course not. None of us want to be uh, a part of that. So it's not just the, the meeting of the physical need or the physical act, but it's too of how we uh, display true wisdom in how we go about it, and in peace and in unity. I'm looking forward Saturday to seeing everyone's trunks, 
I'm looking forward to passing out candy and having food and hanging out with everyone and being together and serving them. I'm, I'm looking forward to all that stuff, and I'm, I'm going to love it and enjoy it in two. But I'm, I'm most of all excited to bring them into and allow them to, to feel and get a taste for the, the true peace and unity that comes from this wisdom from above. So let's get after this. Let's get after true wisdom. Let's grow in our wisdom and discernment of right and wrong, of what's better and what's best, that true wisdom from above. Let's pray. Father, we do. We, we ask for wisdom. We know it comes from above. It comes from you. It's not within ourselves. Help us to be discerning to what truly leads to please you, what truly leads to lasting joy, what, what truly leads to growing in peace and unity and all these other things we were talking about. Help us recognize empty promises of, of earthly wisdom, of, of idols. We confess that we can't do this on our own. We... Um, need your help. We, at the same time, are so prone to try and do it on our own anyway. Thank you for how you've changed our hearts and, and drawn us to you. And I ask that you continue to, to prick our consciences through your Holy Spirit to help us to discern right from wrong, true wisdom from false and that you would grow us in our knowledge and fear of you. May the response of our hearts to your word please you this morning as we go from here and sing. Amen.